Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Go ahead and take your outlines out. And while you're doing that, let me just tell you that at Crosswinds, we have a habit where we like to just sort of teach through books of the Bible. We go from one passage to the next passage, just working our way through Bible books. And we figure that's usually a pretty good game plan. I mean, when God gave us a book of the Bible, you would think he wants us to read through it from beginning to end. It's sort of a, a normal thing to do, which is why we teach it that way from beginning to end. And there's some good things with that, and there's some tough things with that. The good thing is, I can always tell you what I'm going to preach on next week. It's really just the next passage that we come across. The tough thing is that sometimes the next passage we come across is difficult. It's hard to understand. Maybe it's hard to teach. But here at Crosswinds, we just go into it, and we teach it, and study it anyway. The reason we do that is because a little bit later in 2 Timothy, Paul will say to Timothy that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. That's why we study all of Scripture. Some passages, you know, when you dig into them, you have to dig for a long time to find the gold, but it's in there. We just have to keep digging until we get to the gold. All that to say that the passage that we're about to study this morning is one of those parts of Scripture that's hard. It's a part where we're going to have to dig for a while. It's essentially a list. It's 18 words or, or phrases that describe what is um, false teachers and false Christians. It describes what it's like when people are living for and loving the world. So as I started to look at this and prepared to teach it, I'm like, this is like preaching the dictionary, going through 18 words and phrases. And so I, I say that, but I also say it's a good passage for us to, to be able to study in. So I'd like to ask you to get your Bibles out, turn to this passage. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be studying through the first four verses, so prepare for that. Turn there. While you're turning, let me just bring those of you who are new up to speed. Uh, the book of 2 Timothy was written by Paul. He was in the Mamertine prison, which is a dungeon in Rome. He wrote it the last letter he wrote before he was executed. Wrote it to Timothy, who was a young pastor, who was the pastor that Paul had left in charge of the church of Ephesus. And it was a problematic church. It was a difficult church. And so Paul was writing this letter to encourage Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, which we've studied for the last few weeks, Paul's focus was on helping Timothy be effective. How can you be of maximal effectiveness for Jesus Christ in this life and in the position that you held? And that's what Paul taught Timothy about, and we learned about that from ourselves. We learned that holiness for Christ equals usefulness for Christ. That was the theme we had for the last few weeks. Today, as we go to chapter 3, we definitely turn the page. And what Paul is going to now focus on is what to expect in the world that he lives. Essentially, he's saying, expect there is going to be a bunch of false teachers. There's going to be a bunch of false prophets. There's going to be a bunch of false Christians out there. 
And the reason you should expect it is because Satan, when he is trying to destroy the church, the most effective way he can, the most effectively, effective way he can do that is not by enemies from the outside of the church going in to attack us, but by putting false teachers and false Christians into the church to divide it and destroy it from the inside out. That's what he's going to talk about to expect this morning. So hopefully you have found 2 Timothy chapter 3. Stand out of reverence for the Word of God. And you can follow along in your copy as I read the first four verses. Prepare for the list. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That ends the reading of God's Word. You can be seated. So Paul is telling Timothy, expect there will be spiritual imposters out there. And be careful of the influence they're going to have in the church. And he does a description of them. But I also want to bring you down to verse 13, which I put on the very top of your outlines. I'd like to read to you what verse 13 says. He goes on to say, Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, Timothy, be aware that there's going to be a lot of spiritual imposters out there, but during your lifetime, there'll come even more false teachers, even more false Christians, and even more spiritual imposters. And that was about 2,000 years ago. So what do you think the general trend has been like for the last 2,000 years of history? More and more false teachers and spiritual imposters. They multiply like rabbits. They're just all over the place. And Paul says, Timothy, you need to expect that. And we need to expect that. Now let's go ahead and begin looking at verse 1. The, the question is this, when are the last days? Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And when we see that, oftentimes we misunderstand that. As soon as we think about the last days, we think about that must be some distant day in the future, just prior to the return of Christ. And we're not in the, those last days yet. We're getting closer to the last days, but we're not there. And that's not true. Biblically, what you need to understand is the time period between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ, that whole time period, the time period that Timothy lived in and the time period that we're living in, is called the last days. So we are living in the last days. To show you this, uh, let me just give you two illustrations. Some of you are familiar with Acts chapter 2, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. 
Remember what happened is the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, enabled them to speak different languages. They were able to share the gospel with all these other people who were in Jerusalem at the time, and they could share the gospel in their native tongue. And the apostle Peter gets up, and he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he says this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And look how he reads it. He says this, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that in the last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. According to the Apostle Peter, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost took place during a time period called the last days. You go to the book of Hebrews, you find the exact same thing. The author of Hebrews begins by saying this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, or in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. According to the author of Hebrews, that as soon as God started speaking to us through his Son, instead of the prophets, we are now in the period of the last days. The period between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ is all called the last days according to the Bible. Now as you continue through this verse, verse, what we find is what will it like, what will it be like during these last days where Timothy was alive and where we are alive. Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. I want to focus on this word difficulty. It simply means uh, danger. It simply means trouble. So he says between the first and second coming of Jesus, we should never expect that we're going to get to this point in the church where all of a sudden it's easy. That all the false teachers, all the false Christ, and all the false Christians go away. Just expect they're going to be there during this time. And he says, by the way, there'll come times of difficulty. And I want to focus on this word time. If you've been around for a while at Crosswinds, you know that in Greek, there's actually two different words for time. There is chronos time, from which we get our English word chronological time, which is simply one second going to the next second, just the rotation of time, nothing special. But Greek has a different word for time called kairos. Kairos time means significant time. We would maybe call it seasons of times. For instance, winter is a difficult time. We get lots of snow, at least supposedly tonight. But we also have summer, which is a pleasant time where we don't get snow and we get warmth. So, what he is saying here is in the last days, there will come difficult times. There will come especially seasons of difficulty in the church. Sometimes you'll have more false teachers. Sometimes you'll have less false teachers. 
Sometimes you'll have more false Christians. Other times you'll have less false Christians. But they'll always be there. Sort of like a pulsating effect. Sometimes just worse than others. But by the way, what is the general trajectory always going to be? We covered it during verse 13 at the very beginning. It'll always be getting worse and worse over time. This is what we need to expect. Now, where does this all end up? Some of you may know this, others you may not. Paul writes about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That eventually there will be the coming of the Antichrist. He is described as the ultimate religious deceiver. It says he will exalt himself over every so-called God. He will proclaim himself to be God. He is the ultimate false teacher. The apex, the epitome of this long series of false teachers that will come. Now as we move off of verse 1 into verse 2, we find this. That in the last days... People will be known for loving themselves. For people will be lovers of themselves. So Paul says the false teachers, the false Christs, will be in love with themselves and they will be teaching other people to be in love with themselves. The Greek literally says that they will be kissers of themselves. Pretty descriptive word of doing it. Now, sometimes the way this works in a vice list, which is what Paul is giving us, is the head of the vice list sort of defines the rest of the vice list. And this is what is going on here. All the other descriptions in the rest of this list flow out of the first description of this list. People who love themselves will be like the rest of the list describes them to be. That'll be the way they live their life. And I would like to take a moment and pause and talk about this issue of self-love because this is a big issue in our culture. Along around 1960, popular psychology began to say that the problem in the world is that people don't love themselves enough. That if we could just love ourselves more and learn to treat ourselves better, most of our problems would go away. And in fact, if you go to Google and just Google love of self, you'll see tons of articles out there telling you that you need to learn to love yourself. One of these articles I Googled is from the website Psych Central. And I want to des they describe what it means to love yourself. It says this, when you learn to love yourself, you'll uh, learn to um, say positive things to yourself. I'm wonderful. I'm great. I'm amazing. You'll learn to indulge yourself. Chocolate. I deserve it. You'll learn to meet your own needs before you meet others' need, others' needs. Oh, I know what you want, but uh, you know this is what I want. You'll learn to be assertive and get what you want, to value your feelings above other people's feelings. And this is what I thought was most interesting. They say to give yourself treats. To me, that sounds like a dog. 
you know, give yourself a treat. The Bible does not say that the problem in this world is that we don't love ourselves enough. The Bible does not say that we have to go out of our way to put our needs in front of other people's needs. And then we have to love ourselves more. You know what the Bible says the problem is? We love ourselves too much already. The Bible says this. The first commandment is this. To learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second greatest commandment is learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Learn to love other people, not just you. Now, even if you haven't been reading psychological journals from 1964, which I assume most of you haven't, we are living in a culture that is an extremely narcissistic culture that encourages us to focus on ourselves and to love ourselves. Think about what it's like on the internet and what that has done to relationships. People come home, what do they do? They go into their bedroom, they isolate themselves from other people, and they start watching YouTube or playing video games all alone, loving themselves, not one another. Think about social media. Social media allows you to have your own personal reality TV show where you get to post about yourself, talk about all the wonderful things that you do. The more likes you get, the more comments you get, the higher your rating system on your own self-show. It's all about loving yourself and exalting yourself, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Because the Bible never says that the problem is we don't love ourselves enough. The Bible assumes we already love ourselves far too much. Now, recent psychology has come back and sort of started to challenge this trend that began in the 1960s, the idea that we have to love ourselves more. Recent psychological studies are discovering that we already love ourselves far too much. Myers and Jeeves has a psychological book. Uh, it's a college book, and the 25th chapter is called The Problem of Pride. In their book, they did some studies on college students to find out what they feel about themselves and if they need to be encouraged to love themselves more. Like one issue, issue they asked college students, are you, when it comes to athletics, are you above average, average, or below average? 60% of college students consider themselves to be above average athletes and only 6% consider themselves to be below average athletes. Do we have to tell them to love themselves more? Same question and same study. When they ask them about leadership abilities, 70% of college students claim they have above average leadership abilities and only 2% claim they have below average leadership abilities. Do they need to be told to love themselves more? No. You can see the natural bend of self-love within us. So, when Paul writes, he says, one of the things you need to understand is false teachers will encourage people to love themselves. They'll be focused on loving themselves. It's, the world will be all about them and giving themselves pleasure and satisfaction. And then he goes into the rest of the list and he says, when you live in a self-love way, these are the ramifications. These are the results. 
So let's go ahead and look at this. How can I recognize someone who is in love with themselves? Number one here, or A if you want to look at the outline, those in love with themselves can be recognized in the fact that they love money. They're all about financial gain. The word here is literally they're lovers of silver. Their focus is on getting richer. Their focus is on having bigger houses. Their focus is on having more stuff. And they covet other people's stuff rather than being grateful for the things that God has provided. Now, I'm not saying anyone who has some resources automatically, that doesn't automatically mean they love stuff and they love money, but you can tell when it comes to them being able to be generous towards others or use their resources to, to help others, if they have a refusal to do that, it's because their identity is their money. They love money because they love themselves. And incidentally, this was a problem in the city of Ephesus. Historically, it was an extremely wealthy city. It was nicknamed the treasure house of the ancient world. And many people in that city were focused on stuff and money. And it was revealing the fact they were falling in love with themselves. You can also recognize false teachers because of their preoccupation with money. Titus chapter 1 verse 11 they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families teaching, notice this, for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They're false teachers teaching to gain cash. We can apply this directly today. You guys ever heard of, a, I guess his name is Creflo Dollar or Creflo Dollar? Was it Creflo? Creflo Dollar? Okay, thanks Clay. Um, he is a prosperity preacher, interesting guy, uh, makes a lot of money, was real popular for a while. In 2015, he had a campaign. He felt he needed a new jet. He, the jet was, uh, needed to be $65 million jet. The good news was he already had $5 million, but he needed to raise $60 million from his viewers and to subscribers. And he said right on the website, and I checked it, that if you give me 10% of your income, I guarantee you health and prosperity. That's pretty cool, huh? So I thought this is interesting. This jet he wants, what is it? It's a Gulfstream G650. At the time in 2015, it was the most expensive the most luxurious, the most technologically sophisticated jet that Gulfstream made. And why does he need this private jet? So he can fly to foreign countries to do his evangelistic ministry among poor people. Are we seeing, like, a problem here? Like, why can't you fly in a regular airplane in economy class like the rest of us? Well, because he loves money. But why does he love money? He loves himself. That's the hallmark of a false teacher. Preoccupation with themselves. Next hallmark is this. Those in love with themselves are, are proud. They're self-absorbed. They're filled with conceit. They look at others and they consider themselves better than others. And when they're around other people, they act like they are better than others. And if they experience success in their life, rather than thanking other people for how they've invested in them 
and built them up and enabled them to succeed, what do they say? I did it all on my own. I'm proud. I'm better than others. Where does this pride come from? They're in love with who? Themselves. They don't need to be told to love themselves more. The reality is they need to be told, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The next item on the list. Those in love with themselves, he says, are arrogant. This is a companion term to pride. While pride is typically seen on the outside of someone's life, arrogance is manifested in the heart inside of someone's life. Arrogance is what somebody sees when they look at themselves in the mirror. Do they see themselves as better than others? The arrogant see themselves as more deserving than others and higher than others. Sometimes I think this is most politicians. Not saying all, but certainly that seems to be a general trend. The arrogant like to look down on other people. They don't have the idea that you're supposed to look across at other people. Arrogance comes from a person who is in love with who? Themselves. As opposed to being in love with God and loving your neighbor. The next one, he says, is abusive. Those in love with themselves, you can recognize them by them being abusive. Now, what does it mean to be abusive? It's the Greek word blasphemo, from we get our English word blasphemy. It means to abuse people with our speech, to hurt people with insults, to cut people to shreds with our tongue, to speak disparagingly to other people. Where does this trend come from? Where you start to use your tongue to slice other people to bits comes from somebody who is in love with themselves, can only see themselves, and doesn't want to think about that they want to treat other people like they would like to be treated. The next one. Those in love with themselves, you can recognize them because they are disobedient to their parents. The reason that people disobey their parents, is, especially when children disobey their parents, is because they start to become in love with themselves. Not focus on loving their nearest neighbors, which is their mother and their father. Now, disobedient children have always been a challenge. But I'd like to say I think disobedience in children is especially a challenge today. Because children are growing up in a culture that is self-focused. They're growing up around friends that are telling them to love themselves, get what they want, and do what they want, irregardless of how that impacts their mother, their father, and their family. The result of this disobedience to parents, which comes from somebody who is truly in love with themselves, is they don't just disobey their parents, but then they start to disobey authority. Then they have no respect for God and God's laws. And then there's no respect even for the police themselves. It's just a continual stream. 
Look what Ephesians chapter 6 says about this. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, this is a promise from God. If you do not choose to honor your parents, it will not go well with you. You will not live long in the land. God says that, not me. That's just the way it works. And where does it come from? It comes from children growing up in a culture where everyone tells them that life is about them and satisfying their wants and their needs and their desires, not honoring God and loving their neighbors. Now, one of my favorite stories from the news the last few years uh, actually is, comes from around 2015. It was a mother who was watching television. And what was taking place was some young adults had gotten together and they're causing chaos. It was in Baltimore, Maryland. You can look it up on the internet. The video, by the way, is great. Um, so she's watching this. She's a single mother of six. And these kids are burning cars. They're throwing bricks through windows of stores. And they have their hoodies over their head. and Just general chaos. And she goes, that is my son. She's a good mom. She leaves work, gets in the car, drives down to the protest, goes through the police officers, walks right into the youth group of kids, grabs her son by the back of his hoodie neck, and drags him out. Go ahead and put that up there. There she is. You are coming home. And I, the video, she's not just giving him a tongue lash, and she's slapping him around. I mean, she's really letting him have it. And she said, I didn't raise you that way. You are not going to get involved in that lifestyle with those boys. And she's a good mom. Because she was not going to tolerate disobedience to her, to, the, to her son disobeying his parents. Because she knows if you disobey your parents, it's not going to go well with you. And the reason you disobey your parents is because you're in love with yourself. Not trying to love God and love your neighbor. Next one, those who are in love with themselves, you can recognize them because they are known for their ungratefulness, that is, unthankfulness. Instead of being filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for how people have invested in you and things people have done for you, people in love with themselves don't even think about that. They just feel entitled to all the good things they've been given. One way we can see this is the lack of thank you notes that people write today. One website I reference said that the average person feels they should write about 70 thank you notes a year, but only writes about 10. Another website said that 75% of those surveyed feels that thank you notes are a thing of the past in a bygone era and you do not need to send them today. That's crazy. A lack of gratitude, a lack of thankfulness is rampant in our society right now. A big sense of entitlement where everyone owes me. Where does this come from? People who love who? Themselves. The Bible doesn't say we need to love ourselves more. We need to focus on loving God with our heart, soul, and mind, and then focus on loving our neighbor because we already love ourselves. The next one, those in love with themselves are unholy. 
literally this means lawlessness. It, it doesn't mean lawlessness in an obscure kind, as in there's these laws in the Old Testament that are really obscure, that somehow somebody violated something they would never know about anyway. That's not what this is talking about. The word for lawless here means breaking what is a common sense of decency, but having no sense that you're doing anything wrong. You ever been around people like that? They have no sense. Like, for instance, you ever have this people you meet with, you set a time, and they're always 20 minutes late? And they are just completely oblivious to the fact they made you sit there and wait for 20 minutes. And why are they oblivious to that? Because all they can think about is themselves. All their focus is on themselves, not on how they're inconveniencing other people. The next one. Those in love with themselves are heartless. The Greek here literally means without family love. If you've been around for a while, you, I've told you that in English we have a, the word love, which is one size fits all. We love hamburgers, we love our wife, hopefully we love the two in a different way. But in Greek they have uh, different words for love that sort of indicate what shades of meaning you're going at with love. Uh, one of the words for love is the Greek word storge, which means the way you love your family, the way that you love your children, the way that you love your brothers and sisters, great depth and loyalty. And this word here means literally someone lacking in love for their own family. When somebody is falling in love with themselves and pursuing love of self, you'll see this as a mother who starts yelling at her children because she's busy watching her soap opera and the kids are just making too much noise. She's focused on herself. Or a husband who either abuses his wife with, her, with his words or with his fists because he doesn't like to be inconvenienced. He doesn't like it to be difficult because he's in love with himself and his happiness is what's important. Not her happiness is what's important. This is seen when children have no sense of how their choices impact their parents or impact their brothers and sisters. And the reason they do this is because all they can see in the mirror is themselves. Ultimately, all they care about is themselves. Where the God, God says we don't need to love ourselves more. We need to focus on loving Him and our neighbors. Those in love with themselves are recognized because they're unappeasable. That means they're never satisfied. They're never willing to compromise. No ability to work together and do what it takes to compromise and make a relationship work. Now, I think it's interesting. As soon as you get married, you learn life is all about compromise. Right, guys? It's not necessarily what you want, but I need to compromise so I can make this relationship work. But somebody who's in love with themselves refuses to compromise. They dig their heels in. And ultimately, relationships, marriage relationships, friendship relationships, they don't last because they're not willing to compromise because they love themselves more than their neighbor. The next description was this. Those in love with themselves are slanderous. The Greek word here is diabolos, from where we get our English word the devil from, who is the slanderer of God's people. 
the idea is that when we use our words to slander people, to cut people down, guess who we are acting just like? The devil. We're doing diabolos. We're acting like the diabolos. Now, when somebody is in love with themselves, they will have no problem slandering other people. It's the natural result of who they are and the focus of their life. As opposed to thinking how their words will hurt other people, how their words will leave a damaging memory, and how they'll be unkind. They don't care about that because they don't even see that. Those in love with themselves are recognized by being people without self-control. No self-restraint. No sense of delayed gratification. No sense of, maybe I shouldn't do this because it's not good for my family. It's not good for my children. It's, I see something, I want something, I go for that. Because it's all about me and gratifying my desires and my wants because I'm in love with myself. Not trying to focus on loving God and loving other people. The next one is good. Those in love with themselves, you can recognize them because they are brutal. It's how they treat other people. This word for brutality was used to describe like a lion that would take down a, a zebra. Maybe you've seen those PBS programs. The lion takes down the zebra. The zebra's still alive, still moving, but the lions have no problem eating that thing while it is still alive. You're like, ooh, that's brutal. Like, kill it. Put it out of its misery. Then you can eat it. It's not good when your hamburger is still moving. Well, those who are in love with themselves, the way you can start to recognize them is the way they treat other people is brutal, careless. It doesn't matter how it makes you feel. It doesn't matter how it impacts your family. I'll just do what I want, get what I want out of you, and move on. Now, this is why the Bible says we don't need to focus on loving ourselves more. We need to focus on loving God and loving our neighbor more. Those in love with themselves are recognized they do not love good. Actually, what they celebrate is those things that are evil. They celebrate those people who fail. Those people where there's disaster in their life, not success in their life. Those in love with themselves are recognized by being treacherous. What does treacherous mean? It means? It means ready to betray somebody. One of the things that all of us like is we love loyalty. We love faithfulness, don't we? That's one of the things I love about our God, that no matter how many times we fail our Savior, he is faithful and he is loyal to us. How many times have we failed him? We've gotten down on our knees and said, Jesus, please forgive me. And he's always ready to forgive us. Always ready to restore us. We fail him. He will not fail us. We love that about our Savior. And we love that about our friends and our relationships. If you have somebody who is loyal to you, who is faithful to you, who will stand by you when everyone else falls away from you, that is incredibly valuable to have that kind of loyalty in a friendship, 
It's hard to find, isn't it? Really hard to find. What we find is somebody in love with themselves has the exact opposite character quality in their life. Instead of being loyal to us, they're eager to betray us. They will get to know you so they can learn information about you and then stab you in the back and not even think twice about it. Because the focus on their life is not about loving their neighbor. All they see in the mirror is themselves and loving themselves. I was thinking about this, and I ran across an illustration this week of a, a reporter who just embodies this self-love and betrayal. What this reporter does is has the habit of using social media to befriend the children of uh, political figures and significant people in the news. It's a fake friendship. It's not, it's not a real friendship. Try to communicate with those children and then tries to pump the children for information about their politically significant parents. And then when they get that information, they use it and publicize it in the paper as insider information. How brutal is that? What betrayal is that? Betraying and faking friendship with children, all for political purposes and gain. That's terrible betrayal. But it's natural. It's natural for somebody who just loves themselves. They don't need to be told to love themselves more. They need to be told to love God and to love their neighbor. Those who love themselves are recognized by being reckless. This means having absolutely no regard for others and about how your actions will impact others. Remember reckless driving? Driving irresponsibly and how your reckless driving could actually kill somebody or hurt somebody. Those in love with themselves have no problem with being reckless in how they conduct themselves around others. How about this one? Those in love with themselves are recognized by being swollen with conceit, he says. Swollen with conceit means in Greek literally puffed up with smoke. They appear bigger than they actually are, but there's really no substance inside of them. It's all a bunch of hot air. And they do that because they're swollen with conceit and in love with themselves. Lastly is this. Those in love with themselves are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters to them is have they made more pleasure and fun for themselves, not have they put a smile on the face of the holy living God who created them. That's how you can recognize them. Now, what do we do with this list, and how do we apply it? Here is what I have for you. Three things. Number one, Realize that we are in a society that is teaching us through psychology, the internet, and social media to love ourselves before we love our neighbors. That's just the world we live in. Even if you're not reading psychological journals, the internet will try and give you a narcissistic, self-focused worldview. Social media will give you a narcissistic, self-love view. And if you buy into this lie that says you have to love yourself more and focus on yourself more, the resulting life that will come out of you 
is every single thing that was in that vice list. You will become an ungrateful person, a heartless person, a slanderous person, a brutal person. This is why the Bible never tells us to love ourselves more. This is why the Bible tells us, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then focus on loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the right way to live. Second bullet point is this. He's, when we see self-love and the results of that lifestyle in ourselves, we want to identify it, confess it, and repent of it. We want to ask God to help us focus on loving God with our heart, soul, and mind, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let's face it. All of us, to some degree, do love ourselves. How can we not? That's sort of the manifestation of sin. And all of us have some of these character qualities and manifestations of self-love in us. We all do. But when we see it, we have a great Savior. We can confess it, repent of it, and turn to Jesus. As we focus on Him, He changes our heart and our lives. Last one is this. I have to bring Jesus in here somewhere. Remember that Jesus did not love Himself first. He sacrificed himself in love for us. And we honor Jesus when we live a lifestyle that echoes his in this world. Folks, aren't you grateful that Jesus didn't come to earth and focus on loving himself first? Aren't you thankful that his focus on loving his heavenly father first and foremost and that meant he had to submit to his heavenly father's incredibly painful plans to become sin for you and me and to die a hideously painful death on the cross for you and me. Aren't you thankful that Jesus died on the cross not because he focused on loving himself, but because he focused on loving his neighbors? That's you. And that's me. Folks, this week, may we echo the lifestyle of Jesus in our worlds. Not focusing on loving ourselves, but a focus on loving God and loving people. Just like Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to confess that all of us love ourselves. It's so easy to focus on ourselves and just think about ourselves and make the focus of our lives everything about exalting ourselves. And to the degree that we fall into that trap, we just want to confess that. Please forgive us. We know you will. And I ask that you would help us this week to focus on delighting and enjoying you, Heavenly Father, and what you've done for us through Jesus. May what makes us happy in this world be the fact that you have loved us, died for us. Jesus, you have adopted us and made us brothers and sisters. That we're the most blessed beings in the universe. We don't have to love ourselves more. We need to love you more because of what you've done for us. While we deserve an eternity in the lake of fire, you've made us the most blessed beings in the universe. May we focus on loving you and loving people. We ask this in Christ's name. 
This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.